Radio City, episode 213. John Grayson here with you. Rob Ross standing by, and we have a whole bunch of stuff to get into, Rob. But uh, we're going to start, as we did a couple of episodes ago, with what's going on with you. Because, once again, things have taken a bit of a turn. What's happening? Well, you know, one thing I want to preface this um, by saying is that I, I really like the fact that we finally have gotten to a point with the show after X amount of years where we're talking <laughs> about ourselves a bit more and willing right. to put ourselves into the show. Um, the short version is a few months ago, I was offered a position that paid more and I was told, told being the keywords here, that it was a great opportunity, that it was a great atmosphere, wonderful boss, wonderful people, um, very solid etc. And I had told the agency that, that placed me there. I gave them the, the breakdown on what I can do, what my skills are. And I said, full transparency. And, you know, I don't want to oversell myself. And regardless of all of that, I wound up being hired. I left a job of two years that I was very fond of. And I think the world still do I think the world of the people that I work with. I mean, I, just an incredible group of people, talented, kind, joyful, every positive thing. The reason why I left was because there were certain elements that were genuinely troubling to me, not with the people, but with the way that the business itself was going. Sure. I made what I thought was a wise move. It wasn't out of spite or, you know, thinking this is a play for more cookies. Long story short is the eighth day into my tenure at this job, the boss said, to me something along the lines about what my knowledge of a certain program was. And I told him and I, and I said, you know, and the agency knew this when they interviewed me, he said in effect that if I had known that we'd, we would have had different conversations. And he basically said that I was on a very short leash. This is eight days in. Yes. Eight days. Wow. In. And so, and I started this job on the 6th of February. Long story short is from that time forward, it was relentlessly abusive. That's the only way to phrase it. I'm not saying that to be uh, victimized here uh, or pitied. It is just a fact. He was relentlessly crass and cruel and always criticizing and always on me. And I had gotten to a point where uh, I have never experienced anxiety before, and I came down with the worst form of it where I just wanted to crawl out of my skin. Yeah. You know, my hands would shake uncontrollably. Couldn't eat. I've lost quite a bit of weight as of, as of late. Um, you know, not good sleep patterns. I would actually go into work at about seven 30 in the morning and leave it around seven, seven 30 at night. Um, it was just, becoming a sickening obsession on my part where I was trying to do everything that seemed to need to be done, but never could have enough time to do it. Yesterday, after a relentless day with him starting the badgering with lecturing me over the phone before he came into the office, he just was nonstop the entire span of the day. At around 6.30 last night, he was continuing his barrage, and at a point he made a comment about my professionalism, and I said, I'm sorry, but I think that's incredibly unfair. And yeah. I don't agree with that because I have been nothing but professional since I've been here. And he then turned around and said, you know what? I'm done. You can go. So I said, all right. I put my key fob on the desk. I turned, got my bag, got my coat and left. And that was it. I did not engage any further. And I will tell you that when I got out onto the street, 
I was able to breathe for the first time in over a month, which is a horrible thing to say. And I'm not being flippant about it, but I'm glad that it's over with because no one should endure something like that for an extended period of time. Yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, in a way, it sucks that you had to lose a job over it because that's never an easy thing to do. And and I know what you mean about, you know, feeling like all of a sudden I can breathe again. I, I totally get that. But it's what you had to go through to get there. And even for a month and a half to deal with that kind of a situation, I can't even imagine. And you're right. I mean, I have dealt with anxiety in the past in a very similar sort of situational sense. It wasn't about a job, but still it, it doesn't make any difference. And if anybody has ever been through that, you know, it's the kind of thing that takes over your entire life. Every waking moment, every thought is connected back to the source of that anxiety. And you can't, you, you, you just can't do that. You can't live like that. So here's to better times ahead because I know they're coming. Yes. And, and by yes. the way, congratulations to you for being called unprofessional and then walking out of there with your head held up in a very professional manner. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I have to say that, um, you know, I, from my own perspective, and I won't speak for anybody else, I think it says a lot when you do a little bit of investigating and find out that a company has such a high turnover rate and the position that I was hired for, no one lasts very long to begin with. So yeah. if there's any, I guess, blame to be levied here, it would be with the agency for um, not so much misinformation, but for the lack of information and not and not being them not being transparent. You know, I think it was more of a case of them wanting to place somebody so they could get paid for it. And had I known this, I certainly would have stayed at my own at, at my older position and seen what would have happened. You know, it was a mistake. I don't regret it because I knew I had to go on anyhow. But for something like this, I hope no one ever has to experience it because it is such a horrific feeling. Just to give you a minor illustration. We were in the car on, on Saturday and we were having a conversation and a song came on the radio that Liz commented on because she was remembering a time that, that was, you know, a little easier and a lot more joyful. And we were talking about, you know, for us, when we first met in the late nineties, you know, things like Blur and Oasis and especially Robbie Williams were big favorites of ours and how, you know, the music will automatically trigger a certain memory. And I brought up the fact that I heard two songs during the span of the week. One was a song that I never really cared for in the grand scheme of things. It was a thing that used to be played constantly on the old WLIR called Feels Like Heaven by a group called Fiction Factory. Oh, yeah, sure. It very much had that of the time sound to it uh, from the early 80s. But when I heard it, it brought back first that warm nostalgia of that time. And then it made me sad because life was so much easier when I was 18, you know. And then I saw a, a little video clip on YouTube of Haircut 100 because it's the 40th anniversary of the release of Pelican West. And they have apparently been together making the rounds to promote this uh, and, and they've been performing shows and so on and so forth. And – one of the songs from the album played, and that's an album that always, always brought me joy. Haircut 100 always made me happy. Oh, yeah. Nick Hayward, I am a huge fan of, and his music has always made me happy. And to this day, in my acoustic set, I still do Whistle Down the Wind because it's such a beautiful song. And instead of being happy at seeing this and hearing it, I actually almost cried 
because it made me so sad because I wished for a better time. And I really don't mean that to sound as dramatic as it is, but it was incredibly painful. And I was trying to relay this to, to Liz and I found myself getting choked up by it all because of the anxieties and discomforts that I had been feeling for the last month on a constant. So yeah. do whatever you can to make sure that you don't allow yourself to ever get sucked into this kind of vortex, because for someone like me, as you know, John, someone as rational as I am and try to be, this is no way to live. And it's so jarring when you are a rational individual and you're completely consumed by irrationality, even if it's not of your own doing. No doubt. No doubt. Well, again, here's to better times. And we yes, have indeed. we have so much to, as we said, to go over. We're going to get into some sports in just a little bit. We're going to talk about some people that we have lost over the last little while that, uh, you know, on our last get together, because we were wrapped up in other things, we actually missed a couple of these and we've lost more since then. But before we get to any of that, <laughs> I'm going to go off on a totally different tangent and talk about this was the first year in probably the last 10, maybe more, that I sat down and watched the Oscar broadcast from beginning to end. And the only reason I did it is because, well, there were actually two. Number one, I was doing an interview the next morning with somebody for the radio show. So I figured, okay, I'll actually watch the thing and have something to talk to them about. And second, I wanted to see how they were going to deal not with the slap. I don't care about that. That's, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's but, old news. Exactly. And they did talk some about it. You know, Jimmy Kimmel made some jokes about it and that's fine, but it was that and move on, which to his credit, he did. Um, but the other reason was to see how the movie industry was going to, uh, deal with effectively reopening and how, you know, how much of that was going to be in the broadcast. And they addressed it a lot. There was a, a very strong pitch from a number of the people that were honored from a number of the presenters to go back and watch movies in the theater. And I have to tell you, I mean, I've not been since long before the pandemic. I mean, it, it was probably a good year before that, that I actually sat in a theater and it, it came back to me while I was watching the broadcast, how much I really miss that. I love going to the movies and it, it, if, if nothing else, they kind of encouraged me to find an opportunity and to find an excuse to go back and do that. They were talking about seeing movies the way that people make them want them to be seen on the big screen in a, in a darkened theater and all that. And, and that's fine. And it doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't matter if it's an art house film or if it's a big blockbuster. I don't care. I just love the experience of it. And it brought back to me how much I had missed that. And maybe that's something that we're going to concentrate a little bit more on this year is going back and getting into the theater. But, uh, you know, the, the rest of it was fine. I mean, the, the Oscars themselves, I knew a few of the movies. I think I had seen maybe one or two of them all the way through. Uh, and they weren't any of the ones that won big. Everything, everywhere, all at once looks like a fantastic film. Just haven't seen it yet. But, you know, it, it reminded me at the end of it all why I really didn't miss watching award shows. I miss the movies, but award shows themselves, eh, they're all kind of the same and, and they do nothing but bore me. You know, it's funny. One, uh, I think the last movie I saw in the theater was Licorice Pizza, yep. which w received X amount of accolades and won basically nothing when it was nominated for Oscars. Um, I saw everything everywhere once, whatever it's called, tried watching it. It just was, it was really unwatchable at points. Really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It just, it's, I was not sure what it was supposed to be doing. 
you know, and, and I found that to be the, the thing is you want to be entertained. I'm sorry, but I want a linear story. You know, <laughs> I want a story. That's the yeah. whole point. And this is not that. And it's very difficult to try and figure out what is it, what's its motivation, you know? Uh, Elvis, I think we talked about it was just, uh, I'm sorry to say a huge miss. Yeah. That was, that was just a badly written story. Again, Boz Lorman, terrible screenwriter, terrible director, fantastic performances. Yes. But still, you know, just a bad movie. I'm, I'm, which hurts because you know how I feel about Elvis. Right. Yeah. It should have been much better than it was. And you're right. I mean, the performances, what the actors did with what they were given was great, but they weren't given anything. Right. And what you just said about going back to the theater, it's funny because I'm not a fan of um, comic book movies, but I really actually liked Shazam. Really? Which is a strange thing because I thought it was really charming. It wasn't beating anybody over the head with a message, so to speak, or veiled message, as it were. And so the sequel or the second movie is coming out this week. And it looks certainly from the commercials and the trailers that I've seen to be almost as funny and charming, if you will, as the first one. So Good. I might be tempted to go see it for the sake of seeing something that can entertain me for a couple of hours. Yeah, that's, that's you know, that's exactly what I look for out of these. I mean, one of my favorite memories from childhood, and I think I was probably I'd have to go back and look. Um, but based on where we were living at the time, I was probably five or six was when my dad took me to the theater. And and that was back when they used to uh, open a curtain at the beginning. You know, they uh -huh. would raise a curtain at the beginning yep, of the movie. Yep. And we saw a movie called Damnation Alley, which, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, this this post-apocalyptic sci-fi thing. And it was ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, the whole movie is just hilariously bad, but I love it. And I and I can watch that movie to this day yeah. if it's you know if it happens to show up on TV, because it it was about going to the movies. It was about me and dad sitting in a theater and having that whole experience together. When you would go to the movies, did you get to see um like a cartoon or anything beforehand? Did they do the Often. whole Yes. Okay. Just checking because these were the days, of course, of the single theaters. This was we didn't get a um, a twin cinema until 77. So we were thankfully very late to the party in that. So we always went to, you know, singular movie theaters. You know, you didn't have your uh, your choices, as it were. Well, in that is a matter of fact, in that very same theater where we saw Damnation Alley, we also within probably a year of that. Again, I'd have to go back and check the dates, saw silent movie. The Mel Brooks silent movie, which was, I mean, of his canon, sadly, along with uh, along with high anxiety. Those are two that just kind of get lost in the shuffle because History of the World Part One and Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein were so big that movies like Silent Movie and a couple of others just kind of, you know, get shoved to the back unfairly because, again, I had an absolute blast watching that movie. You know, that's that's the whole thing about when we were kids, movies were meant to be seen in a certain vein. You weren't yeah. being browbeaten by political messages and, <laughs> and just, you know, self-congratulatory nonsense. Look at how wonderful we are. And I, that's what movies have become. And it's also the quality of writing or lack thereof. You know, it's far too many reboots and, you know, reimagining of TV, old TV shows. I think the stupidest idea that I can think of in the last 20 or so years was the reboot of the mod squad. If you remember that awful movie. Oh yeah. Or how many of these idiotic Charlie's angels movies? I mean, why? 
And, really? And, yeah. And, and let's make them funny, but they're not. I mean, because the writing isn't good enough, but, but the idea of taking those things and making them into some kind of parody comedy. Right. And, okay. If you're going to do that, why not actually make a Charlie's Angels movie? You know, that, that's, that mirrors the TV show. Right. Why not or- do that? 21 and 22 jump street. No, right. No, 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 no. It wasn't, it really wasn't, it wasn't a good idea by any stretch of the imagination. Yep. I know Rob Zombie's working on like a, a reboot now of the monsters and I, I have no beef with him, but you really shouldn't have touched that. Yep. It's already been damaged by people trying to do the series over again, just like people trying to redo the Adams family and so on and so forth. Stop. Well, stop it. And yeah, because what people fail to realize is that, yeah, we have a great affection for those, but they were very much of their time. And uh, even those of us who came along and saw a lot of that stuff in reruns, it, it was still of its time. Because when we got home from school at three o'clock in the afternoon, that's what was on the independent exactly. UHF station. So Correct. It, Correct. we didn't care that it was already 20 years old. <laughs> it, it, it still worked. You know, Lost in Space was a bad idea. Yep. Yeah. Right. We, I think we learned very quickly in 1986 what happens when you tamper with the monkeys. You know? <laughs> yes, the only indeed. thing that was a success out of any of this was Star Trek when they did the the uh, the next generation. And that became such a, a phenomenal success that that parlayed itself into a movie series of, of its own. Because it didn't pretend to be Star Trek. It didn't pretend right. to be. Yeah, it wasn't a reboot. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the 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 more recent reboots with you know uh, with kirk and all of that stuff they're okay but it's not star trek so you know all you're doing is it's like taking the the little rascals movies remember those (laughs) in the 90s it's like yeah why would you do that right the kids who played the little rascals were these people not you know they didn't it just doesn't work at all well it really doesn't since you mentioned the little rascals let's jump right into that then because we lost one of them over these last couple of days of course he was much more famous later on under his assumed name of robert blake than he was uh, as mickey gubatosi uh on the little rascals but still uh, uh, I, uh, uh a guy who had such a bizarre post show business life with the murder trial and everything else. And yet you go back and you want to talk about stuff that still stands up. Go watch an episode of Beretta. It's awesome. Go watch in cold blood. Yeah. Right. Oh man. For his first ever movie role. You want to talk about knocking it out of the park. I mean, he was actually a very good actor. Yep. He was compelling. You know, he just had his, his problems, you know, and, and I, can't comment wisely on the murder trial because I really don't know Nor I. if he, you know, if he had a hand in it or whatever it was. But suffice it to say is, you know, it happened. It was certainly a um, a media circus. And, um, you know, he's no longer here. So what what why why people have to keep going over these things, what they're I don't know what they're trying to find. Why, right. Why not let the dead lie in peace exactly especially since he was acquitted so leave the man alone um on that same front by the way we we lost another movie giant and i say that advisedly because i I think that uh, you know if if you mention the name bert i gordon in a room full of a hundred people there's probably gonna be four or five of us that are gonna go oh yeah the dude that made the amazing colossal man bert i gordon was a director and i think a producer as well 
who made his living doing the American version of the Japanese giant bug movies. Um, he was responsible for the beginning of the end, which was the one about the, the giant locusts. And he did the amazing colossal man and war of the colossal beast. And all of these weird late fifties, you know, either giant thing movies or, you know, just these weird sort of pseudo horror flicks. And they were all, in the same vein as like the Roger Corman stuff. I mean, they weren't great movies, but they also weren't bad movies. They weren't, you know, shot on a shoestring and, you know, in the Ed Wood school, they were much more accomplished and much more polished than that. But it was schlock. It was schlock right, filmmaking. They were, B, they were B movies. But it's stuff that I love. And and he, <laughs> Bert I. Gordon, as I said, he, we just lost him last week, lived to a hundred years old. Dude had to be doing something right. Was I would I would wonder was he the basis for that movie uh, matinee? Remember the one? Probably, that, yeah. Remember Mant? He's half man, he's half ant. <laughs> right. He's Mant. Yeah, and and he, that's the kind of stuff he would do. There were uh, in in that same time period of probably 1955 to 1963, you had Bert I. Gordon, Roger Corman. Uh, who was the other one? Um, oh, William Castle. William Castle was the one that had all the gimmicks. Like, uh, you know, he would show a slide before the movie that said, if you die of fright during the movie, we'll pay for your casket. Shit like that. You know, it was, <laughs> and, and yeah, uh, so he was the gimmick guy, but Bert, I, I, I always thought had, he had something to say and just for whatever reason, because those movies weren't taken seriously, monster movies just weren't taken seriously back then. Um, he, he never achieved the same level of fame as a lot of other directors of his time, but he was really good at what he did. You know, I, I wonder if that, you know, you, you went through that little period and then suddenly around the late sixties, early seventies, after all of those movies kind of faded from view, then you suddenly had Irwin Allen. Right. Rise to the top, you know, starting first with, with, you know, testing it out in the water with, uh, I think he did voyage to the bottom of the sea. And then of course lost in space. And then all of a sudden you had, the Poseidon adventure and the towering inferno. And, you know, and, and what's funny about that is right before that, right in between those two time periods, you had one last shot of bird eye Gordon because he took the HG Wells story, food of the gods. Um, and he actually made two different movies out of that. That was, that was the one where uh, the stuff makes things giant. So he did a movie called uh, village of the giants. And that was with, uh, Oh man, I'm trying to remember his name now and I can't, it's escaping me, but, uh, it, it, Ron Howard was in it as a really little kid, probably right after music man. Um, and, and it was a kind of a hippie movie about, you know, these mod kids who all became giant and took over this village. And then he did the story again, Food of the Gods, under the name Food of the Gods in like 1974, a made-for-TV movie. And you know what? It's pretty damn frightening. It's for a TV movie. That was the the era when, so I'll, I'll go off endlessly on this stuff now, but uh, th that's when TV movies, you look at what we had in terms of horror. Devil Dog, which was amazing. You We had Duel. Steven Spielberg's first feature Dennis with Dennis Weaver, right? Which was made for TV movie Salem's lot starring David soul, which uh -huh. was a made for TV movie. Um, and, and it's, that one's a funny one because that had the same kind of legendary status. Uh, you know how you ask people 
like after they've seen the shower scene in Psycho, how many times they saw the knife go in and they're like, oh, I don't know, five or six at least. You never see the knife go in. No. There are people to this day who will swear to you that they saw Salem's Lot in the theater. No, they didn't. But it was good enough that they could have. So their minds made it a bigger deal than it actually was for a made-for-TV movie. Well put. Yeah. Well put. Thank you. So now that we're talking, I guess we're talking about those who have left us. Did we talk about on the last show, because I haven't actually listened to it just yet, <laughs> did we mention that we had lost Raquel Welch? No. Um, okay, it- there's, there's one major loss right there. Uh, I mean, I think she was just about everybody's first crush. No doubt. An incredibly beautiful woman, beyond words, talented, funny, and my one grievance is that she never really got the credit that was due her as an actor because one thing that she had that nobody seemed to really pick up on was comedic chops. Yep. She was a genuinely funny, her timing was great. See the movie Fuzz with Burt Reynolds, 1972. It's a cop movie. Yul Brenner, just absolutely brilliant. She's hilarious. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, because she's deadpan and she's the perfect foil. Right. And, and there's a reason why. I mean, she would show up in things like that. Um, there was an episode. In fact, it was probably one of the first times that I saw her uh, on TV where she played an alien queen on an episode of Mork and Mork Mindy. And Mindy. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and it was okay. It was funny. Mother jugs and speed. There's another one. I mean, she could do that stuff, but the thing was, I think the reason she's not known for it is that at that point, if you were a sex symbol, that's what you did. You weren't supposed to be funny. You weren't supposed to be smart. You weren't supposed to be a good actress. You were just supposed to stand there on the, on the screen and jiggle. And she had a lot more than that to offer. So it just never got noticed because we were too busy looking at her. Now, we're going to go back a bit because in our last show, we talked about the loss of Jeff Beck and Lisa Marie Presley and and Tom Verlaine, which obviously, you know, hit me very hard. But we neglected to talk about David Crosby. Yeah. And we neglected to talk about Burt Backrack. Yeah, which again, our apologies on both of those because I mean, for I mean, from the birds all the way through, uh, David Crosby, one of the best writers that we've had. Um, although, as we've talked about before, Graham Nash was always calling him the lazy one because he did, he he could write, he just didn't like to. He'd rather sit in a hammock all day. Um, but plus the, his weird tunings and you know, yeah, it, and it was. Um, I, I, I mean, what do you say about him? What do you say about a member of one of the most indelible uh, harmonic rock and two. roll acts ever? Two. two. That's right. Most, yeah. The Birds really. and CSN. But I mean, he was also the most irascible, irritating, confounding, you know, musicians of our time. I mean, the the thing is, we've already known what Crosby was about and how he treated people and so on. But he was an amazingly talented guy. He actually had a brain. He had something to say. It's just, unfortunately, I think he was really too skewered by all the the chemicals that he was ingesting over the the, the course of the decades. Because it really does take away from what your creative personality does and turns you into somebody that nobody wants to know, you know. And so that tends to overshadow your actual achievements. Without doubt. And as far as Burt Bacharach is concerned, I mean – the soundtrack of the late 60s, yeah. mid to late 60s, pure and simple, well, and, and, the early 70s. And let's pull them all the way into the 80s with a little band called Naked Eyes, who had one of the biggest hits of the early 80s with, with a Burt Bacharach song. 
from 1964. That's right. Always something there to remind me. That was that was Bert. Uh, I mean, great melody will always trump. Great melody will always work. And and that was the thing about him. Um, even though he would he would rag on his own singing voice. He hated hearing himself sing, but he understood it and he got great melody. And he was he was also a writer that just figured it out. He figured out how how that whole game is supposed to be played and he did it beautifully. Yeah. I mean I, you know he was what 93, 94? Had to be, yeah. So you know, okay. He had an incredible, long, illustrious life. But then in those weeks since we did the last show and those folks had passed, we've got a shopping list here that's just kind of staggering when you get to it. So um, just now, actually, just before we went on the air, I heard that uh, Jim Gordon, the drummer from Derek and the Dominoes, yep. uh, many other late 60s, early 70s groups played on Harry Nilsson's um, Nilsson Schmilson album. Friend of the Beatles, et cetera, et cetera. And unfortunately, also um, uh, incarcerated after he was diagnosed schizophrenic and murdered his mother. He died today, sadly, at the age of 77. So that's that's uh, the most recent loss. Right. Uh, But then last weekend, we lost Gary Rossington, the last surviving member of Leonard Skinner. You know, and by the way, just for for people who are going to say, well, what about Artemis Pyle? Artemis Pyle was not, quote, an original member of Leonard Skinner. That's why he was probably the right. longest serving drummer, but he was not an original member. And, of the I, band, so. and you know, when when I when we moved to Florida in 1979, um, by that point, what I was hearing most about him and what really got me interested in, in him in the first place was the Rossington Collins stuff. And, you know, and then went back and was like, oh, OK, I've got a lot more to investigate here because I was all of 10 years old. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? um, but but that's again, I mean, that's comfort food music for me. I mean, listening to Rossington Collins anytime, any day, anywhere. You know, I was, what, 12 when the Skinner crash happened. But, you know, I knew them from Sweet Home Alabama and Freebird and, and you know, Give Me Back My Bullets and all those songs because, you know, they were played on classic rock, you know, in, in New York. So um, there was a gentleman named Glenn Lockett who a lot of people in the scene that I came out of, the punk scene, if you will, it's as crass as that phrase may be, most of us knew him as Spot. He was a producer but he produced the most important and seminal albums of our teenage years in 19, especially the year 1984, when it was basically the, the true start of the American underground for all of us, because that he produced Husker Du's Zen Arcade, Double Nickels on the Dime by the Minutemen, My War by Black Flag, uh, Meat Puppets 2. He was the, the house in-house producer at SST records and his importance cannot be understated. Yeah. And we lost him after he'd been suffering post stroke. So that was one that just, you know, caught me completely off guard. David Lindley, who, if I don't know if you remember him, he was an incredible guitarist, especially he had an album in, I remember 1980 or 81, maybe 79 called El, uh, El Rayo X, which was just this Staggeringly great <laughs> guitar playing firepower. He was also a friend and guitarist for Jackson Brown for many years. But David Lindley was a master. And I mean, and he never, ever, ever got the credit that was due him for what he could do with a guitar. You know, you just, just 
go back and listen to that El Rayo X album. And yeah, I think it will speak volumes. Well, you you never have to tell me twice about somebody who worked with Warren Zevon and he did, but that was the thing about Lindley is he worked with everybody. And part of the reason why uh, I got a real dose of this right after news of his death was made public is that I was hearing two things from all of my friends online who either know him or worked with him or were just impressed by him as fans over the years. Two things. One was guy could play absolutely anything. You hand him a guitar and you let him go. And the second thing was, I have never met a nicer, more beautiful human being in my life than David Lindley. So I never had the pleasure myself and now never can, obviously. But I mean, to a man, everybody was talking about what a joyful human being he was. And and I will second that because I read the same thing basically from my friends who actually had known him and worked with him. That was it was more the the personal eulogies than the professional ones. Never mind yeah. the fact that all you had to do was say staggering guitarist, and of course jazz legend Wayne Shorter. Yep. I mean, what more can you say? There. I mean, we're we're. I know we're going to be compiling more of these lists later on, which I, you know, doesn't make me happy. But we've lost so many jazz giants in the last year or so. It's just it's not even funny. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it just is such talent. But again, part of the reason why we do this just as a subtle reminder is that there are, we know, I mean, in, in our audience, there are going to be people who will hear us talking about these people and go, mm, heard the name, but I'm not really all that familiar. Well, let this be your reason to go back and check these guys out and, and find out a little bit more about who they were and what they did, because that's their legacy. I mean, they left us this music and they left it to us for a reason. The other thing is also, it's a, you know, if you hear it on the show and you haven't really investigated, it's a good jumping off point. Yes. You know, because we're trying to help you learn about something new and interesting. So I think we've been a little bit on the, dare I say the, the, the more, darker side of things. So I just want to make it a little lighter and and a little goofier. So let's go to sports because (laughs) number one, the New York Rangers a couple of weeks ago, just in case you missed it, folks traded for one of the biggest players in the game. Patrick Kane is of the formerly of the Chicago Blackhawks is now a New York Ranger and has been scoring goals again, which is his forte. Uh, There's 14 games left in the season. Rangers right now are solidly at number three in the what do they call it now? The Atlantic conference, Eastern conference, yep. whatever. I don't, I don't even know. Um, we are, I think 25 days away from the start of the baseball season and Aaron Rodgers will be a New York jet next season. Apparently. Yeah. How about that? Um, I, I, it, the ink has not dried yet, right? We're not, we we haven't actually signed, but we know it's coming. Is that where we yeah, are? He apparently announced it himself on a show where he was also refuting that he'd given the Jets a laundry list of people that he wanted. The Jets certainly did appease him. They hired, they signed one of his favorite players yesterday. Oh, some, I forgot who it was, but it was a fellow from, from the Packers. That's always a good sign. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Rogers intent is to play with the Jets next year. They're all just trying to come up with a deal. That's that makes the Packers happy. The Jets happy and allows Rogers to go with no recriminations. He, and he has said time and again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone in Green Bay. I love you all. You have given me everything. What more can you say? I Look, I'm a Jets fan, and we know how this, this last season went, and I don't think that that young quarterback is worth the salt. He just – he doesn't have it. He's not – after throwing the team itself under the bus for his shortcomings during those those – and I've already forgotten his name. Zach, uh, Zach Wilson? Is that Okay. Him? Whatever his name is. You know, he it was the there was the New England game that they should have won handily. 
and he played so poorly, but blamed the team. I was like, you oh, just lost your entire yeah. team. Goodbye. You're out of you New know, York. <laughs> you're, you're definitely not a field general. And, and, and people are, of course are making already the stupid Brett Favre, uh, comparisons with Rogers. One Rogers has one more Super Bowl than Brett Favre does Two, He's not going to be sending dick pics to anybody. And three, I think he comes with less baggage, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ayahuasca tea notwithstanding, at least he didn't steal money from a bunch of welfare recipients. So, oh, yeah, that too. You know, <laughs> um, and, and on the football front, by the way, there's all kinds of movement going on. Uh, Devontae, the, the guy who used to be Devontae Harris, uh, who changed his last name just recently, and I don't know what the new name is. He is now a member of the Buffalo Bills. So they were looking for another receiver. They got one. Um, and Jadavion Clowney is now on the market officially. He is out of Cleveland. They cut him and no word yet on where he's going to end up. But I mean, I don't think there's a team in the league that couldn't use a good edge rusher. Um, where did Baker Mayfield wind up? Tampa. He moved, Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. D- Brady's retired now. They needed a quarterback. So they went out and picked up Baker Mayfield. Yeah, okay. I mean, if they think they can protect him, I, I think he's likely to get broken in half. And and by the way, on the Tampa Bay front, the latest hot rumor out of there is that Levante David, who is probably the biggest star on that team, may be headed to Buffalo. Interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Good, good times for the bills. And I mean, if they needed somebody to shore up, uh, in waiting for, uh, their other edge rusher to get back, um, I think they could do a lot worse. Levante, Levante David's amazing. And, and he's, he's one of those guys who can rush in off the edge, but he's also great at just playing standard, you know, just playing linebacker. And with Tremaine Edmonds gone, Buffalo's going to need somebody in that position. Well, it's going to be an interesting baseball season. I will say that much. It's uh, There's also a thing. I don't know if you've been following the story, but um, I guess it's called Bally Sports. The carriers for most <laughs> baseball teams uh-huh. went bankrupt. Yeah. So basically places like Atlanta, Arizona, Texas. Kansas City. Will not be able to watch baseball. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to go over well. Um how much had you been following why they collapsed? I I don't claim to understand the intricacies of why and how this happened because I've never heard of such a thing. Um, you know, I mean, I was shocked when I saw all of a sudden that Sports South, Sports South where the Braves were always carried, yeah. was no longer. And it was like Bally Sports. And it's like, wait a minute. Didn't I just see another team have Bally Sports, Bally Gyms, Bally casinos what what is right what's, what's the correlation here well the deal with bally sports was uh they signed a lot of really bad deals that they were paying way too much for and then they came up with this idea because where where they racked up a lot of teams was kind of at the mid-level or the lower mid-level of major league baseball so i mean think about the teams you just mentioned atlanta kansas city uh, Colorado is in there. Um, and there, there's a few others that are kind of like, okay, middling teams, but, but nobody that anybody's going to go crazy over. And then when they realized that they needed a big influx of cash, they said the one smart thing they did was they signed all these agreements exclusive. So the, the Royals here in town, here in Kansas city, for example, were not on local TV at all. If you wanted to see the Royals, you had to have Bally. Bally was on the local cable system, but almost nobody has the local cable system. Most people get their TV through Google Fiber because Google Fiber has the gigabit internet around here. So 
a bunch of people were really upset about that, that they had to go ahead and get either direct TV or cable to be able to watch the Royals games. So Bally Sports said, okay, fine. We'll take all of that away and we'll become a subscription only service just to watch baseball and a couple of other minor sports that they had. And you want to know what they were charging for this? $20 a month. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. uh, HBO Max doesn't cost $20 a month no. and they wanted it to watch a bunch of middling baseball teams. Yeah, no. Uh, go figure why that business model didn't work. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, if you notice, ever since Rob Manfred came into the MLB, it's just been going downhill ever since. Yep. I mean, the one good thing is that, you know, in New York, the Mets have SNY, the Yankees have Yes Network, you know. Team, and don't, and we, don't they own Yes? The Yankees own Yes, the Mets own SNY. Yeah, okay, right. They own their own platforms, which there's there's a lot of smarts behind well, that. Well, the, the, the reason why was because it happened twice. Uh, it happened first with the Yankees, and then it happened with the Mets. Um squabbles in the New York area with at the time Time Warner Cable it was they want the Yankees were on MSG originally squabbles with MSG caused the Yankees to start their own network squabbles with Sports Channel caused the Mets to start SNY it happened twice with the Mets it's yeah. happened a couple of times with MSG so I couldn't watch the Rangers on on <laughs> many occasions yeah but uh the worst was 2005 when, when the baseball season started and you couldn't watch the Mets for like the first two weeks or so because of this back and forth nightmare that we were having with them. And so a year later, SNY was launched. So you, you didn't have to have the problems of uh, – because it's a joint effort between what's now Spectrum Cable and Comcast and the team itself. So there's not going to be any of the sort of the blackmail that you had previously. Yeah. Uh, Time Warner Cable, or as most of us know them, the great Satan. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, gone are the days when when cable is going to be a thing in my life. I'm I'm streaming that, that, and that's it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the streaming thing and I'm not going back. I have to say, you know, it's weird. How, a, I miss good old Staten Island cable. Yeah. Because it wasn't that. Time Warner yet. Um, granted we only had, I think 88 channels, which was fine in the grand scheme of things. But, um, in a weird way ever in the last year or so, it's gotten better. And the service from spectrum has gotten better in those moments when things don't go right. Like they're on the phone immediately when you call them, they sent somebody the next day when we needed them to come out here. So I will give them their credit where it's due, probably because they've been hit with so many lawsuits and the fear of actually losing the New York franchises. Yeah was probably a big kicker for them to clean up their act. No doubt. Well, hey, <laughs> that's all gone. Uh, in the meantime, I, I got a little something over the weekend. Um, and, and by the time folks are listening to this, we may be already by it. But uh, I believe it's also going to be available for download if you miss it. We are once again at that time of year where the Appalachian Arts and Entertainment uh, awards are being given out. So I'm on my way to Prestonsburg, Kentucky to take part in that ceremony. And I'll be presenting the radio award again for this year. Are you so, going by way of New Jersey again? <laughs> no, this time I'm driving. Oh, okay. I've, I've had it. You know, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that. Let's talk about this for a little bit because right now it, it, it seems like barely a day goes by that we don't have another story about something awful that happened regarding air travel, whether it's somebody being an asshole on an airplane or whether it's, you know, a couple of planes, uh, it was it JFK or, or LaGuardia where the two planes hit each other. Where, oh, I don't know where they knock tails. <laughs> Just something happened. So, um, I mean, this is why I don't watch news anymore. I really don't. I have, I 
the only thing that I've heard as of late, of course, is of the uh, the, the the train calamity in East Palestine, Ohio. Right, which is a, a nightmare of it, of its own. But uh, yeah, that's that's a longer story for another day. Boy, getting into the railroad industry and and how just absolutely. Uh, I, I have never seen hubris like I have seen out of the railroads, but uh, what with the airlines, um, I've had it. I, I just, I, I used to love to fly and I, I've, I've had it to the point now that I don't enjoy it. Um, you know, turbulence never used to bother me and now it does. I don't know what that's all about, but every time it's, it's just nerve wracking being on a plane and 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 with all of the the stories about the airline industry, I just I have less and less desire to get on board a plane. I'll drive. I'm fine. I'd much rather be out there on the open road, you know, captain of my own ship and and the whole deal. And I'll drive wherever I need to go. I I don't know why. I just don't like airplanes much anymore. Well, it also doesn't help like you've had that 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 whole crisis around the holidays when it seemed every single airline on the uh, in the country was just you know yep caught up in a web of, of being paralyzed. I mean, how does this happen? Poor management. It's the same thing that just happened with two banks, including one oh, where yeah. you are. I mean, signature bank. Why did signature bank blow up for the same reason that, uh, that Silicon Valley bank blew up because the people running the thing had no idea what the hell they're doing. It's funny because wow, it's almost 20 years ago. I worked for a company and our bank was indeed signature. Yeah. The main branch on Madison Avenue. And at the time, they seemed very responsible and very, you know, but they were also a lot smaller and it was 20 years ago. And things have changed. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, do you fly much? I haven't flown since 2016, but I have also haven't been on a vacation in yeah, that time. That's got a lot to so do with that's, it. That's, you know, I haven't had a chance to go anywhere, you know, so that's. I kind of miss it, but at the same time, I don't really miss the headaches that have suddenly been incurring every time. Excuse me. Every time you turn around yep. and you know, the whole idea of a vacation is to get away from stress, not to wind up being stressed, trying to get away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and if I fly again, that's what it'll be is it'll be a vacation. We'll, you know, we'll go to, uh, go back down to Mexico or whatever. And I'm not driving from here to Phoenix that I do have my limits and it would just take too much out of the trip. But, um, yeah, that, that's really about the only thing that would make it worth it for me. Well, I'll tell you, if I do get a chance to go on a vacation sometime, and I doubt it'll be this year because obviously I'm going to be changing jobs one way or the other, so I won't have time accrued to me. But next time I go someplace, I think I just want to go someplace quiet, maybe, you know, like the Tennessee mountains or something. Yeah, but hey, listen, the Smokies are great. You'll have a blast down there. Um, I, I know we've got to get to In Our Heads because we we promised this on our last get-together, and we will get there in just a minute. Before we do, and as much as I hate to do this, I'm going to drag us back into one last fond farewell because I, I would hate to, you know, for another episode to go by and, and have to miss another big name. But we also lost one of the pioneers of, and I hate the use of this term, but the so-called blue-eyed soul, um, even though he was more of an R&B and jazz musician and singer. But Bobby Caldwell died, 71 years old. And, and so, I mean, mid-70s, if you were listening to, you know, nighttime FM radio, he was a staple there. And one of those guys that I, I kind of put into the same category as a Harold Melvin in that if I want to feel better than I feel now, I'll throw on some Bobby Caldwell and I'll feel better than I feel now. You know what? And I forgot one more from the punk rock scene in, in Los Angeles of the early days of punk rock. 
Dick Stenny, the guitarist of the Weirdos. Oh yeah. He he his brother John, who's a lovely, lovely guy, made the very sad announcement. As he had said, and if you know the Weirdos, you know that they were not just a smart band, but they were also fun and funny and damn he was a damn good guitar player. He was a real firepower. And I think the, the most poignant thing was that his brother said, I think he might have, might have died of a broken heart because his wife of 44 years had recently passed away. Oh, wow. So, you know, that, uh, again, we're losing people left, right, and center. And um, I'm sure more of these are going to come along, and it's something I'm loath to do. But, you know, we'd be remiss in not doing our jobs if we didn't do this. No doubt. I hate to say it. So with that, we will get to you because this, that's the perfect intro because the in our heads that we promised last time around was about what doesn't seem to happen much anymore. Uh, and it's funny because there was a, there was an article today that happened across the desk that more than half of the adults in the United States consider themselves Taylor Swift fans. Now I'm not going to sit here and hack on Taylor Swift, but I think it says something about music writ large that that's what we have that most people are gravitating toward is pop nonsense. You know, it, it just doesn't say anything. And in a time when pop music really did have something to say, they were able the the really good bands, the ones that had some kind of staying power were able to balance that out by occasionally and sometimes more than occasionally having fun and being funny. It's the reason why I love Harry Nilsson who for every sappy song he ever wrote would write a your break in my heart or a take 54 or something along those lines that would make me laugh while I was listening to it. And the Beatles certainly had their moments, which is what kicked off this conversation in the first place. Um, and the stones had theirs and, you know, all of the Led Zeppelin had their moments with hot dog and other songs like that, that were just goofs. But they were good quality goofs. So what are the ones that stick out in your mind as being the sort of comedy relief of some of your favorite bands? Oh, Yellow Submarine. Definitely. I mean, it's not meant to be serious. I know people now want to rhapsodize about Lennon's mournful demo that they've now heard on the Revolver <laughs> outtakes. Right. I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, Yellow Submarine is a great, silly little song. And our friends are all aboard. Many more of them live next door. And the band begins to play. We all live in a yellow submarine. Yellow submarine. Yellow submarine. Yeah. You know, um, I, I've rhapsodized before about Dead Flowers by the Rolling Stones, one of my favorite songs by them, because it's just funny. Dire Wolf by uh, by the Grateful Dead is I mean, it, it's a dark comedy, but it's still a comedy. The wolf came in. I got my cards. We sat down for a game. I cut my deck to the queen of spades, but the cards were all the same. Don't murder me. I beg of you, don't murder me. Please don't murder me. Don't murder me. One of the funniest songs to this day that always lives with me is an old Neil Diamond song. And I know you're not a big Neil Diamond fan. but True. 
There is this great song off the Brother Loves Travel and Salvation show album called You're So Sweet, Horseflies Keep Hanging Around Your Face. <laughs> and, and the way he delivers it, it's hysterical. It's brilliant. It is just so pithy, you know? Yep. You, because you don't expect that out of him. You right. Know? Real, I mean, this is the guy who sings songs like I Am, I Said, and Shiloh, and songs that are going to break your heart. And then this comes out of left field and it's just unadulterated genius. Yeah. Uh, the same could be said of a, a lot of the songs. I mean, this is my Neil Diamond connection. You look at the stuff by the band, how much comedy is there in the weight? And that's, that's not a funny song, but it's, it, there's a it's wry, the tongue in cheekness. Yes. Yeah. There's a wry wit to it. Well, I mean, dare I say it, there are a couple of songs by the monkeys that are not intended to be funny. <laughs> I mean, obviously gonna buy me a dog is supposed to be a laugh. Auntie Griselda. Right. Auntie Griselda is a showcase for Peter Tork to be goofy Peter Tork. Right. You know, that, that was, it, it, I don't think it was not expected to be, you know, it's not supposed to be zilch though. I mean, is a master stroke. It's goofy. It's funny. And yet everybody remembers it because everybody knows each individual part of zilch. <laughs> right. Randy Scouse Git is not meant to be a funny song. It's kind of a pithy little piece of, I mean, really it's, it's just, if you know the, the story of the song, it's Mickey Dolenz's recollection of the night of the party that the Beatles threw for the monkeys when they arrived in England and what he saw and what was there, you know, the four Kings of EMI are sitting stately on the floor, you which know. is a great takedown line, by the way, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. You know, and, and of course, you know, uh, um, uh, let me. I, I just need to, to to think of the lyrics. There's so many words in that song. Yeah, she's, she's mine. Oh, doesn't seem way she won't come and lose. Uh, it's too easy humming songs to a girl in a yellow dress. That was the girl who was the hostess of Top of the Pops, who Mickey eventually married. Right. You know. But then all of a sudden it just veers into that whole anti-war protest. Why don't you cut your hair? Why don't you live up there? Why don't you do what I do? Feel what I feel when I'm, when I care, you know, why don't you be like me? Why don't you stop and see? Why don't you hate who I hate, kill who I kill to be free? It's like a pendulum. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. And in a song, like you said, about a party where he's being very tongue in cheek and very wry. I mean, you want wry wit. You need look no further than, uh, oh, oh, who's that guy that was the front man for the kinks? That's right. Ray Davies. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, not only the king of the F-bomb, by the way, but uh, yeah, also a guy who could write some brilliant takedowns and, and could do a tremendous amount of social commentary, which he did. Hello, Village Green Preservation Society. Um, but could also dedicated follower of fashion is a shot right at their own manager. Oh yeah, absolutely. And 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 yes, it's a shot at their own manager, but it's also a shot at his ilk. You know, um, I'm trying to think. Pink Floyd must have. Pink Floyd did, as a matter of fact, uh, early on. Some of the stuff that they wrote had a nice comedic wit to it, but, uh, well, Arnold Lane is kind of a very tongue in cheek song about an alleged transvestite. Although I, you know, is he really wearing the clothes that he's stealing? Right. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, th that was always why it was fun for me to go back and, uh, you know, I'll tell you, there's another guy that I always had a great deal of affection for, uh, in his early career as the front man for wall of voodoo. And then later on Stan Ridgway's solo stuff. And he could also, you know, he, he wrote a song called camouflage, which is a, a Vietnam war story. Um, 
and wrote another one called The Big Heat, which is kind of a noir, but it's set in the future. And, you know, but but he could also write these really funny lyrics. I mean, I wish I wasn't Tijuana eating barbecued iguana. That's funny shit, man. I don't care who you are. Well, he was back in flesh. <laughs> Can't tell me what to do. Screw right. you. Right. Um, the other one I was just thinking about just coming to my head randomly was The Minutemen. Most things on on you know, double nickels on the dime, which is downright hilarious, yep. you know, things like the politics of time, you know, um, man's law who creates Hitler a year, a moment, we're answering set watches, you know, we're time Nazis. We strip our tunes. We jam Econo. It makes a stench. What? You're just sitting there <laughs> laughing. You know, can you call it the big foist? I'm fucking overwhelmed. What? Yeah. It just, uh, Brilliance. The wordplay by by either Mike Watt or D. Boone. You know, you just you, you have to love it. You have to, but you also have to appreciate it because you know you're taking these bands seriously. But you're going to laugh with them, and that's the point of it. You know, they're having fun. They're just it's 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 all very stream of consciousness. You know, immediate train of thought. And no, that's not a plug for the punchline, even though it is. <laughs> you know, it's it's just. It's great when a band can do that. Like when a band like REM tries to be funny, it it fails miserably. You're They're talking about Stand. <laughs> yeah, but and we've talked about this before. Can't get there from here is also kind of a funny song. It it is, but it's you know it is it's done in the clever way and it's telling the story yep. anyhow. It is funny. I will grant you that. It's got, you know, even life and how to live it has its funny moments cuz it's just such a weird st- when you know the story behind sure. the, you know, it it is funny, but no, there's just irritation REM and that's, you know, stand is an irritation. Um most things on Monster are really irritating. Yep. You know, True enough. I'm sorry. You know, that <laughs> I'm not going to go on it because there are some songs on there that I like, but no. But no, the no, no, no. and again, getting back to some of the reasons behind why we do what we do. Part of the reason we do this in our head segment is so that you can add to it. And please do. If there's a band that you can think of that generally is taken very seriously, but had that moment where they decided, you know what, let's throw on just a, an absolute hilarious, fun, loose, goofy track. What's your fave? Please, because we're always curious to expand our uh, our little cachet of knowledge. Definitely. So with that, I think we're going to uh, put the wraps on episode 213. Rob Ross, as always, a pleasure, sir. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time around. Thank you, my brother. Have a safe trip and a fun trip out to Kentucky. And um, we'll definitely catch up very soon. And as always, to everyone listening, thank you all very much. And we will see you all later. Ah!